1: It's It's Wednesday, March 4th, 2020. Welcome back to the CBS Sports Eye on College Basketball podcast where we sometimes discuss camel fighting and leaky black. Matt Norlander is here with me and it's been an interesting past couple of days in the sport. Coach K told his haters to suck it. Maryland blew its lead in the Big Ten standings. Michigan State beat another ranked team on the road after trailing by 15 points at the half. Snacks buried to three. Texas beat Oklahoma at the buzzer. We're going to get to some of that, not most of that, Before we're done, but I wanted to start with a surprising result in the SEC. Kentucky lost at home to Tennessee on Tuesday night after leading by 11 points at the half and by 17 points with roughly 17 minutes to play. So uh, let's start there. It was a historic development on some level because UK entered with a record of 129-0 and zero when leading by double digits at the half under John Calipari. Now the Wildcats are 129-1 and one in such situations. Norlander, in the spirit of full disclosure, I was sleeping on a plane last night with no Wi-Fi. At some point, I realized Kentucky was in control of the game against Tennessee. And then at some point, I saw that Kentucky lost control. What happened to John Calipari's Wildcats? Did those crappy efficiency numbers finally catch up to him inside Randolph Morris Arena? Uh,
2: Yeah, I think a little bit there. And by the way, you picked a hell of a time to fly. I I do think that Tuesday night was the wildest, most notable, craziest night of the season in college basketball, to what you led the podcast with. Uh, in addition to just random stuff that we're not going to have time to get to, like Cincinnati fans' great win, uh, <laughs> rallying without Jaron Cumberland to stay alive for the NCAA tournament, it was uh, it was a nutso so night there um, in many different ways, and Kentucky losing Kentucky losing the way it did was a shocker. I'll be uh, completely transparent here, I missed the rally. So I'm had. i I'm sitting in my office as so we podcast now. I got two TVs, and one of them I always have, uh, like CBS Sports Network game on or a Fox Sports 1 game, and then my other TV, because when you have the ESPN app for a, your Apple TV, you can go quad box. So I always have four games going on the other TV that, that ESPN broadcast. So Tennessee, Kentucky is one of those. But as that's all happening, I'm trying to watch all these games, the Josh Spidell stuff, which we'll get to in a little bit, Uh, completely blows up, and I'm also working on the court report and a lead with Michigan State and Tom Mizzo and Cassius Winston. So I'm trying to write with all that stuff going on. And then I look up, and out of nowhere, Tennessee's got the game within six, and then I did lock in on that. Defensively, they completely collapsed. I mean, it was bizarre. I think probably aberrational, but what you mentioned there, I think has a little bit of credence. You know, the, the very nature of predictive data, and when you look at these rankings like Ken Palm or Torvik or Sagar, and pick your BPI, whatever you want, pick pick any flavor. There are seventeen hundred of them. Um, it just basically shows that if you are, if you get you know twenty three, twenty five, twenty seven games deep, um, sure that you're capable of of going against what your numbers have suggested for two, three months. But Kentucky fans and you and I have been, (laughs) I don't know, frustrated. Maybe Kentucky fans were frustrated. We were uh, a little befuddled because we've seen Kentucky look so good as of late here. But on the whole, this has not been a top 25 level team, according to the predictive metrics. And the collapse on Tuesday night was an indication of that. Now, John Fulkerson... Shouts to Folky, I guess his name they call him. They call him Folky. He was awesome. He made Nick Richards look terrible. It was one of Richards' worst games of the season. I do think there's correlation with that. And then um, Hagen's was bad. I mean, he was he was a problem. Uh, just a, a lot of bad shots, three turnovers. Um, and Hagen's is a guy that needs to be a top three player on that roster. So in a nutshell, that's it. But the rally was insane. And it also... I got a little bit of blowback on a previous pod when I mentioned how, like the Evansville loss, it's a seed bump. It just is. Um, This is also a seed bump. Like Kentucky, I think has no shot at a two seed now. Even if it wins out and wins the SEC auto bid and wins the the SEC tournament, I think its ceiling is now at a three because of this loss. You
1: know, with seventeen fifteen remaining in the game, it was forty eight to thirty one. And I believe from that point forward, Tennessee outscored Kentucky 50 to 25, 50 to 25 over the final 17, 14 of the game, Tennessee ends up shooting 53% uh, from the field. And afterward, John Calipari, when asked about, you know, what happened, he said the game got physical and we couldn't compete, what just reminded me of, of back in the days when I covered John on a daily basis, um, he his explanation for losses, more often than not, are rooted in, if we'd have just been a little tougher, we'd have been fine. Like, if we'd stopped being P-words, we'd have been okay. Like, that's his explanation, usually. and it, it uh, So, I, I, I wasn't surprised to see him um, uh, go that route again last night. Uh, I, I didn't see the game. I, I was on an airplane. But, you know, when you get outscored 50-25 to 25 in the final 17-14 7, 7, of a game, Something undeniably went way, way wrong. You know, Kentucky was an eight and a half point favorite uh, in the game, and so when you're an eight and a half point favorite in the game against an unranked team at home and leading by 17, you know, with less than 18 minutes to go, um, you know, that's a that's that's a bad, bad situation. They dropped seven spots in the net, four spots at Ken Palm. They dropped five spots to number 11. In the top 25 and one and the resume is now the seven and three and quad ones five and two and quad twos, which means they're 12 and five in the first two quadrants with that quadrant four loss to Evansville. And for whatever it's worth, the UK is now 30th at Ken Palm. And I just went and looked this up earlier today. Um, In the past three seasons, nobody that finished, and I know we don't have the numbers like based on this day at this time. Just bear with me. Uh, what I'm about to say is true, even if it's a bit flawed. Nobody that finished top 30 at Ken Palm in the past three seasons got anything better than a five seed in the NCAA tournament. Now, I, I think Kentucky would be better than a five seed right now, even at 30 at the Ken Palm, but they are probably going to be seeded lower than the fan base wants or thinks Based on the fact that, yeah, um, they are outright SEC champs, uh, but the resume is um, is taking a little bit of a hit. And there's some blemishes there that are not, not impossible to overcome, but they're, they're things that hurt you on Selection Sunday.
2: Yeah, I think right now, okay, so Kentucky's final game of the season is at Florida on Saturday. That just becomes, like, of course they can win. Uh, but Florida is going to be favored to win that game. Uh, there's no doubt about it. And the Gators actually, as we record this, they're going to play at Georgia here Wednesday night. (laughs) They should, Florida better win that game. Um, but so that's an intriguing matchup between the Wildcats and the Gators this weekend. And then you have the SEC tournament. And, um, historically we have seen that the SEC tournament by nature of when it concludes on the Sunday afternoon of Selection Sunday, um, Kentucky has received no tangible seed bump as means of winning the SEC tournament, and I think there have been some years where that has been uh, incorrect. Maybe they would have been. I'm just this, these are total hypothetical seeds, but maybe they would have landed on as the best three when they should have been on the two. This that or the other. Kentucky fans and Calipari have been very vocal about that. But also, it is just one or maybe two games. In what amounts to, at that point, 32, 33, even 34 games worth of a sample size, so it shouldn't have too much overwhelming uh, influence there. But the point I'm making in regard to where Kentucky will be seated eventually, and I'm going to guess UK lands on the four line. I'm just going to project out here at 24 and six right now. I think it's going to take one more loss before Selection Sunday, and I think that'll st- I think that'll still be good enough to get them on the four line. Um, you can look back, Kentucky fans, and say the the Evansville home loss, uh, the neutral to Utah, and then this Tennessee one was uh, were the biggest reasons why. I will give Eve Eve Spons a shout, by the way, as well. Uh, he was three from three from three point range. He is a future NBA player. Uh, he's a junior he's going to test the waters. Tennessee is going to be super dangerous if Ponds' opts to come back next season because he's a defensive menace, I think a top 20 defender in the country. And offensively, his game is coming along quite beautifully. So between Ponds and Fulkerson um, and and Josiah George-James, the freshman, had had a nice game as well. Um, good on, on Tennessee and good on uh, Rick Barnes, who just, uh, you know just had a, another good night in what's been a tough season, but the Vols are, you know, they are rounding into what could be a spoiler in the SEC tournament.
1: And, you know, keep in mind, whatever Tennessee brings back, they add to it a top-five recruiting class in the country, featuring two five-star prospects, Jaden Springer and and Keon Johnson. So, Tennessee's... um, it, It's been rough. You know, they lost uh, Lamonte Turner early in the season. That's tough. I think Rick talked about it last night after the game, just like, you know, we... It's a hard thing to do to lose a player of that importance midseason and try to adjust on the fly. And so it's been a a, a bit of a struggle. Like Tennessee is not going to be uh, in the NCAA tournament. But if you bring back enough good pieces and then you add that recruiting class, uh, they've got a chance to be really good. If I were seeding the NCAA tournament right now, I would have Kentucky as a three seed. Uh, based on where I have them in the top 25 and one, I think ultimately uh, you're right. It'll be a a three or four, you know, it'll be in that range. I don't think they'll slip further than that. Mm -hmm. Even with a loss at Florida and then a loss in the SEC tournament, I still think they can figure out a way uh, to be a a, a top four seed, but uh, we'll see. Let's move on. Is it time Norlander for Maryland fans to not start, but continue to hate Maryland. We're going to get into that next, but first
0: official streaming partner of the National Park Foundation.
1: So Maryland had a game Tuesday night. It was at the Rack, which is basically the equivalent of going to Pinnacle Bank in 2018. Impossible task. It's a scheduled loss. So unsurprisingly, Rutgers led by six at the half, never trailed in the final 20 minutes. The final score, Rutgers 78, Maryland 67 inside the Quincy Doobie Center. So now Maryland is tied with Michigan State, Wisconsin, Illinois in the loss column atop the Big Ten standings. Before we get to the game, uh answer this for me if you can, deadleg. Mm-hmm. What time do you think Mark Turgeon was in his driveway?
2: Hmm. It's a good question. Road game, not too far. You gotta figure they bust it, right? I wouldn't to...
1: think you bust anywhere.
2: I mean it's it's College Park to Jersey. I don't think that's a plane ride. That's a bus ride. I, I don't think Big Ten teams take buses. But it's that's I mean that's an you're in the air for
1: twenty two minutes. You think it's a plane I, ride? I I I do forty five minute flights to Atlanta all the time.
2: That's all let's it look,
1: is. Let, let's look this up. College Park, Piscataway. No, we will put in Quincy Duby Center and see what pops First up. First of
2: all, I know it's technically the RAC, but it's Quincy Duby Pavilion. That sounds better than Quincy Duby Center. Please get it right. Okay, please honor the man and please honor the, 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 please the, honor old the program. The rule
1: in renaming um, no, Quincy building.
2: Quincy Duby is the exception that proves the rule. Okay. I'm willing to work with you on this. Right.
1: But in general, the rule is if it's a pavilion, it's a pavilion. If it's a center, it's a center. If it's an arena, it's an arena. That's how we get Randolph Moore Arena at Nelson Pavilion. Quincy Doobie Center, it should be the center. But if you want to go Quincy Doobie Pavilion. The only
2: exception, yes. I, I, I'm actually, uh, bizarrely, uh, my heels are dug in on this one. <laughs> okay, I'm fine with it. I'm fine with it. This is not where I'm going to pick it up. The QDP. A I, I, that's, a QDP just sounds so hour It
1: would be, it'd be a three-hour three bus ride. Yeah, it's a bit long. Yeah, we're taking a full Mark flight, Turgeon, flight. Mark in Turgeon's
2: no, not not right, taking a three-hour bus ride to get back in. His...
1: No, we're trying Do you know what? You know what? time Turgeon would get in his driveway if he had to bus it.
2: I and shudder to think. So with the flight, this was I. I don't remember. There were so many games on Tuesday GP. I watched it. I think that was a seven o'clock game. So nine, you're out of the building by ten. Wheels up by let's call it eleven. You're down. I think he's in his driveway by one twenty a.m. I think that's, that's reasonable. The hey. Can't complain. It's not bad. You know, you can't complain about a lot of other things, though. With Maryland? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> you,
1: See, are you freaking out like the Maryland fans are freaking out? They lost a game they First were supposed to win. First of all, we're lose. like,
2: are you aware? I didn't read any of these tweets, but, like, I'm prepping for the podcast, trying to, you know, get the house clean and just busy day, and then I I, I got Maryland fans in, our, in our, I think both of our mentions for, like, Seventy four tweets talking about how Turgen's better but people hate Turge. Like are, have you seen this when <laughs> we were getting ready to podcast? Oh, yeah. I didn't uh, even I can't I can't it's a, it's even a, I'm gonna be I'm gonna be completely honest. I, I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> There's
1: going. See, the thing if is you get tagged stop reading a back and forth between Maryland fans, you're out of your mind. <laughs> no shot. <laughs> that's no shot. There's that's no not shot that's happened. happening. Like, nah. you, not, guys, you. you guys can argue with each other like I, just, I, don't, I don't need to be involved.
2: No, not oh. even close. Maryland has lost three of its past four. It's only when you will call the, um, what, 15-point rally at Minnesota. Like, Maryland is quite easily one or two possessions, one or two shots away from a four-game losing streak, and not even being in first period in the Big Ten anymore. This team had a three-game lead in the conference less than two weeks ago. That has evaporated. Um, as we sit here on Wednesday morning, Michigan State, and Maryland are 13-6. and six. And then Wisconsin and Illinois are tied in the loss column both at 12-6. and six. I don't have Wisconsin-Illinois slates up in front of me, but I can almost guarantee you that they are playing on Wednesday night. If not, maybe Wh- one of
1: them. Uh, let me help you. Wisconsin is home against Northwestern. Then they close on Saturday at Indiana. And Illinois is uh, tomorrow at Ohio State, Thursday night at Ohio State, and then close at home Against Luca Garza in Iowa on Sunday.
2: Okay, so there we go. Now uh, for Maryland, uh, you gotta you gotta find a way to win this game against Michigan on Sunday. Get some sort of momentum going in and hold on to that. I don't know how the Big Ten. I don't know how these tiebreakers work. Michigan, Michigan State and Maryland have split now. And so, if they wind up both 14 and 6 or both 13 and 7, and if Wisconsin and Illinois don't jump them, I don't know what the tiebreaker situation is in the Big Ten. I don't need to know. But uh, Maryland would obviously prefer to have. that one seed to help it's, its seed chances here. I also think we're gonna have a situation here where for sure now uh, no Big Ten team is going to be on the one or the two line. Maryland was the only ch- team with a chance at a one like a week ago. That's gone. Then it was the only team with a chance at a two. I think that's gone. I mean maybe if Michigan State or Maryland went out they could be there. Maybe. I could see it but I also think that's unlikely. I think that Sparty and the Terrapins and Wisconsin and Illinois are all going to lose at least one more time. Um, real quick on Rutgers. So it wins again at home because it always wins at home. I think it's eighteen and one this season. It has more home wins than any team in America, um, and it's four and nine in quad one, four and one in quad two, and three and one in quad three. Um, I, I, I guess I'd have I, I would have Rutgers in if we started the tournament today, but again, they are not sitting pretty. All right. So I was talking with Jerry Palm over the weekend. And he has tracked this since 1994. So in the past 26 NCAA tournament fields, the only time that any team has ever received an at-large with zero, one, or 2 wins away from home was Illinois in 94. And it had 2. Rutgers has 1. I'm not convinced that if it doesn't if it doesn't get another win in the Big Ten tournament that it's going to get picked. If it does, then we'll have a we'll have a precedent-setting team and situation there. But that team needs to show up in venues outside of the Quincy Doobie Pavilion. It's it's kind of astonishing. Um, it's racking up some nice wins, pun intended. There, but it's still got to do some more, and it's got to do it in a hurry now um, because. It, the The resume isn't for sure a lock. It's got eighteen wins It's nineteen wins overall. Eighteen against D one teams. That's what the committee will look at. And it closes out the season at a Purdue team. Who, oh by the way, completely curb stomped Iowa on Tuesday night. So Purdue's at large. Chances are still there. And we could easily have a situation if Rutgers loses at Purdue on Saturday. That's going to get Rutgers to eighteen and twelve in D one play. That will get Purdue to seventeen and fourteen. I'd have to weigh it GP but I would be tempted to say that a 17 and 14 Purdue team would be more worthy of inclusion in the moment there than an 18 and 12 Rutgers team and then they're going to have to do what they got to do in Big 10 play. Both both schools in my opinion will need to win at least one once they get to Indianapolis for the postseason league tournament.
1: Okay, predict it now. Rutgers is in the tournament
2: or not? I'm pr- I will <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I, didn't
1: mean, I didn't mean to put you in a bad spot No uh,
2: I'll predict here's, here's my prediction Yes, in the tournament It loses at Purdue It wins two games in the Big Ten And that cinches it If it even only wins one, I think it's going to win But I will say yes, but I'm not I'm GP. I'm 55-45 on that I'm not super confident
1: I think they lose at Purdue And still somehow make the NCAA tournament
2: I'll tell you this, okay they lose at Purdue. They lose their first Big Ten tournament game. Is Rutgers in? Yes or no?
1: I'd say no. Then the, the answer is no. I, yeah. I don't
2: see There's. I don't think there's any way they're in if they lose their next two games. That's just me.
1: Yeah, they, they're going to have to. You know, winning at Purdue's difficult, man. Like, like Purdue's good. Like Purdue is it's got a lot of losses. Purdue is good. If those two things, you can put those two sentences together. Purdue has a lot of losses. Purdue is good. Or maybe I should rephrase they're dangerous at home they, they they have beaten lots of good teams in that building this season trying to go there and win. like if you can't win away from home the odds that you winning at Purdue ain't good.
2: not good at all and to circle back to what we led the pod with if Purdue and Kentucky play on a neutral court in the middle of North Dakota tomorrow Purdue is favored to win the game it's registered as a better team right now in predictive metrics than Kentucky so just keep that in mind I know the the, the losses should matter I get all that but um Go ahead,
1: go, go ahead and tweet that to the, uh, the Kentucky fans. Just get them fired up. Hey, Kentucky fans, um, uh, t- uh, my condolences about uh, Tuesday night's 17-point blown lead. But here's some good news. If you play Purdue in North Dakota tonight, you'd be an underdog.
2: <laughs> <Yeah>. Go Wildcats. <laughs> just use that as part of your tease for the podcast for this <laughs> section.
1: Go Wildcats. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah. Um, but no, it was uh, listen, a, listen, a, a wild night. Again, I know you were flying, so you didn't get to see a ton, but it was, it was noisy between Maryland there. Um, uh, Iowa losing the way it did uh, at the, at the hands of Purdue and then Rutgers getting a win. Um okay. Can you allow me to talk on Michigan State here for a sec here cuz they yeah, also
1: Just just let me put a a, a, bow? a, a bottom line okay. on the Maryland situation. Undeniably, it's been a rough, you know, four-game stretch. They're 1 and 3 past 4, lone win at Minnesota, but the losses are like at Ohio State. You know, Ohio, Ohio State's a top 10 Kimpom team, so you know, whatever. Um then like home to Michigan State. Michigan State's obviously really good. We'll get to them momentarily. They're playing at a high level right now. Uh, you want to win that one at home. I'm not going to try to uh, dance around that. Uh, but then you were supposed to lose at Rutgers. Maybe you weren't supposed to lose by double digits at Rutgers, but you were supposed to lose at Rutgers. And either way, you wake up on March 4th. This is a team that uh, was not predicted to win the Big Ten, and this was a team that started 16th at Ken Palm. Right now they are tied for first in the Big Ten, and they're 14th at Ken Palm, And the body of work is still 13 and seven in quadrant one slash quadrant two opportunities with zero losses outside of the first quadrant. I believe the last time I looked, there were only five teams in the country with zero losses outside of the first quadrant. Uh, Maryland is still one of them. So I just like Maryland fans, they can feel however they want to feel. I'm not here to tell anybody how to feel, but like Things are okay. Like you know, like mm-hmm. you you were you were supposed to be a top fifteen team. You are a top fifteen team. You were supposed to finish near the top of the Big Ten. You're literally at the top of the Big Ten. Like it's it, things are okay. I just I don't I don't understand. There's a lot of fan bases that could be flipping out right now. I'm I'm not sure why Maryland fans would ex- except like last night. I you know after the game, I get a uh, tweet from somebody, and I think it was Titus was messing around with Maryland fans maybe. And then one guy said. Um, I'm not surprised. Even though Gary Parish has been trying to tell us we're fine, I, I knew all along we had a trash coach and a trash <laughs> team. <laughs> and I'm just like, what? You lost at Rutgers. Everybody loses at Rutgers. It's not a. It's not the worst thing in the world. But whatever. Yeah. Uh, I, I I I do pick these little things that I root for. I would love to see Turge get to a a Final Four, and uh, and then. I was going to say and then bounce and find a fan base that that properly appreciates him. But I don't want to go that far with it. I would just like I I would like to see him accomplish something that would maybe win some people over. That's all I mean.
2: Real quick uh, on the on this note. I do think there's another fan base out there that is similar to Maryland in its uh, disappointment or low bar of expectation for its coach. And that team also happened to lose. We don't need to do a deep dive on this. But since you mentioned it, this did pop into my head since they both lost on the same night. And that was Marquette losing at DePaul 69-68. Uh Marcus Howard still went for 31. I don't, you know, I don't know if this is going to be a thing that like cost Marcus Howard national player of the year. Obi Toppin still got the lead for that. But um but I do think that Marquette fans who have been uh the <laughs> who have caught your ire in the past or vice versa, uh that's another school there because they've expected their program to be better under Wojo than it has been. But again, Marquette like Think about what you lost heading into the season. You're still going to make the NCAA tournament. All is going to be fine. I did actually have someone ask me if Marquette was in danger of missing the NCAA tournament. Asking that because the team's lost five of the past six. But I just don't see that happening. I, I, I would think you're going to win at St. John's this weekend, and you'll get at least a win in the Big East tournament. You'll be fine. But, yes, it's becoming a bit of a danger here. Like The Golden Eagles have been slipping and sliding, where we talked about UCLA, Providence, Texas, who we can get to, all surging. Marquette's been going the other way.
1: Okay, so we mentioned now Maryland's 13-6 and six in the Big Ten, tied atop the league standings at this moment uh, with Michigan State. It's actually Michigan State, Maryland, Wisconsin, and Illinois, all tied in the loss column with six losses. But uh, the only teams with 13 wins right now, Michigan State, Maryland, you led your court report on Michigan State Wednesday morning. Um, what's the most interesting thing about it?
2: Well, after the Maryland win, I mean, the Maryland loss to Michigan State on Saturday, I sat with Tom Izzo one-on-one for about 15, 20 minutes, and he touched on a a few things, but he spent about half that time uh, revealing to me something that coincidentally came into play on Tuesday night in the midst of the heat of the game. So So Michigan State has this... Just absurd rally, uh, relatively speaking. Penn State, I think, blew a 19-point lead. It was at the at its greatest margin. It was 19 points. Michigan State comes back. Xavier Tillman has a career-high 23 points. I think he had 15 boards. He was awesome. Cassius Winston was good again, but in a couple of spots, you saw like anger yelling between Izzo and Winston, and like Izzo yelling at Winston in the middle of a play, and Winston not even looking at him because Izzo wanted a timeout, and he goes and tries to finish the play. And when you're following the game in, you know, in real time, uh, you notice that there's just a a little bit of discussion about, like, what's up with Tom and Cassius? Well, coincidentally enough, three days prior, Izzo had told me that, you know, because of Cassius Winston's brother's suicide and everything that came with that and everything that Cassius had gone through, Tom, understandably, had been – for lack of a better phrase, approaching Cassius and coaching him with kid gloves, okay? We, you and I, Parish, both know, everyone knows the way that Tom Izzo coaches. He is able to give, I think he is able to strike the balance between mania and tough love and it coming from the right place as good as almost any other coach. And I know Izzo still has his critics in spite of that. But what Izzo told me was um, it's been the hardest thing I've ever had to do. Uh, there have been moments and days where, you know, understandably Cassius was just not there, uh, but it got to a point where I couldn't do this anymore. Um, I, I needed to try and, and coach him the way that I always have coached him, to coach him the way that I've coached him the past two years and how it helped us get to a Final Four. And Tom even told me that Tony Dungy, who lost a son to suicide, said, you need to get back to normalcy as soon as possible to help, you know, help Cassius and help, you know, get your season on the right track. And he, he even then, Tom admitted I, I initially tried a little bit, and I couldn't do it. He had he was – Izzo was just draped in guilt because of it. So they play Illinois. Winston's just okay. And I think the day or the day after, he still notices, like, this isn't getting better. So he calls in Winston and his parents. And he says, listen, um, this, this – uh, Zachary's death ha- is still such a huge factor with this team. Um, I'm lost as a coach. I'm failing Cassius. I don't know what to do. I want to be able to, uh, get back and coach him the way I want to coach him. And he did not say this, but GP, you know, paraphrasing, um, to use a common, uh, part of the coaching lexicon, he, he wanted to mother F him. Okay. He wants to really just get into his guys and do all this. And he was reticent to do so, but his parents and Cassius were like, no, we know it. This has, this is what needs to happen. We, uh, I want this, and his father was saying, "No, you gotta, you gotta push him." And even, and so he, and they started doing that behind the scenes a little bit, getting back to some sort of normalcy, um, helping that that two two and a half hours in practice be the spot where you know Winston can escape from all the other stuff that he has to live with on an hour by hour basis. So Izzo was very forthcoming. The story is up at CBSSports.com. I don't want to give it all away. Some of Izzo's quotes, I think, are actually remarkable. Uh, I wasn't anticipating him being this forthcoming with me. But the timing of him get explaining this to me, and then I was always going to publish the story Wednesday, and then to see it play out on Tuesday night, and you even saw the uh, the press conference after where I- Izzo was like, yeah, I was mad at him, and he was mad at me. And sometimes when you get mad at each other, that's when you can bring out the best of each other. I'm slightly paraphrasing, but that's what he meant. This is what they wanted. They wanted confrontation. They wanted things to return to normal, to be aggressive. So I th- I found... Is those revelations to be interesting. And, and by the way, now Michigan State's won four in a row, three on the road. This really might be the thing that gets it clicking again here because Winston was the preseason player of the year. Michigan was the preseason number one team. They haven't been that for a lot of reasons. This was one of them, and we'll see if it winds up making a difference later in March, GP.
1: Um, I, I think you're right that Tom strikes as well a balance as anybody when it comes to being able to push really hard, but then also do it without it coming across as you're being a bully or you're being mean spirited or any of that stuff. His players know they love, he loves them. Like the, he, he, he builds enough of that up to where he can have moments in practice or moments like he had on TV on, on Tuesday night, uh, from talking to coaches about this type of thing over the years. Um, the prevailing thought seems to be you can yell with somebody or at somebody as long as they also know you, you'll you laugh with them and you'll cry with them, you know, you'll smile with them. Like, as long as they know, you, you, you know, you, you guys can go through every emotion together, you can go through that very hard emotion together. Uh, Bob Huggins is also very good at this. Coach is really hard and does it and does it. And I think the other uh, – coach is really hard, but, the, but then uh, you remember the moment in the Final Four. Yes. Like, that was a – I'm glad – I'm not glad that happened. What an awful injury on a, on a on a big big stage! But I'm glad people got to see that version of Bob Huggins um, on the court, holding his player, kissing his player, because there, there are. Yeah, Deshaun. That, Butler.
2: You're referring to Deshaun Butler. Just Deshaun Butler, correct. Yeah.
1: yeah. Um, th- like that 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 part of Bob Huggins exists too. You don't see that as much, but you got to see it on that stage. But the players see it every day, or they see it often enough to know. If this guy's really getting into me, even like right here on national television, uh, Bob's built up enough to where it's an OK. He can coach that way. Um, so so Huggs is really good at that. Izzo is really good at that. It's why you rarely and, and perhaps by rarely, I mean, never um, uh, hear former player like they former players swear by Bob Huggins for the most part. Uh, former players swear by Tom Izzo. Uh, for the most part, and I think this relationship—that's obviously tough—that um, that, that Tom and, and Cassius are going through right now under unimaginable circumstances—is a great, um, a, a great example of that. And I can understand. I thought the quotes that you got from Tom are really, really good too, because you know this has been a pretty high-profile situation, but families go through this all over this world every day. You know, you lose a, like, like Tom said, you know, losing somebody to an accident is one thing. You know, brother dies in a car accident. Brother dies, um, even if brother dies of cancer or you know some. It's it, all of it's awful and tragic. But a brother decided to take his own life. You start to question yourself: What did I do? What could I have done? Should I have done more? Should I have answered that phone call? Um, it, it can really wear on you. Like if your brother dies in a car accident, you don't, I, I don't assume you think it's your fault. Unless like he was drinking and driving and you could have taken the keys and you didn't do it and whatever. But like that, that's an accident. Um, a brother dies of an illness, that's, that's not on you. Um, brother dies of suicide, even if it's not on you. There's got to be something that makes you think you could have done more. And so when you've got a player going through that in real time. This isn't an off-season tragedy. This happened right, you know, right in the middle of the season, mm-hmm. and you're trying to recover from that. I can understand how you. I think the way Tom put it is, you coach with kid gloves, like you don't want to push him too hard because you know he's already going through yeah. hell. And yet, ultimately, um, to get the best out of him as a basketball player, and by extension, make your team what it's supposed to be, you got to figure out a way to do it. And it looks like. They've reached that point, and I don't want to start connecting too many dots. Yeah. But it is undeniable. Michigan State is playing its best basketball the season.
2: Yeah, no doubt about it. Just a couple quick things. I want to just spring off what you said there, GP. Uh, before we move on, but um, the, the Cassius Winston is not someone whose general disposition and demeanor is is fiery. He is uh, he is savvy, intellectual, cheery, just um, everything about it. But you nailed it in that. Um, having having that natural mentor-pupil-coach-student confrontation has been an alchemy that has led to Michigan State being at or near the top of college basketball almost every single season for basically 23, 24 years since it has been there. I wanted to share one quote in the story, and there are plenty more, but um, this was the one where Izzo was getting the most emotive with me when he said, quote, suicide is so much different than an accident, which you just alluded to. He said an accident is one thing. Suicide, he's blaming himself. Mom's blaming herself. It's been every day. Every day, try to get him through practice. It's been three and a half months. It's gotten a little better. But they were so close, and he's referring to Zachary and and Cassius, of course. He says it's almost like when he has a big game, like when he got the assist record, is a ref- referencing when when uh, Cassius set the all-time uh, Michigan State assist record earlier this season. He said, that was a tough night for him. His brother's always there to watch those things. So with as much joy as it was, there was that. The other day was his birthday. They always had a family function on all their birthdays. The family's like this. And when he was doing that, he was white knuckles squeezing his hands as he's explaining it to me. So he said, I called him at 7.30 in the morning. I said, all you, are you all right? End quote. There was also this that's not in the story. You know, obviously having uh zachary going through things with with mental illness um every day someone in the family would call zachary just to check in say hello um and it was not Cassius Winston's day to call him on the day that Zachary took his life. It was not his... He called him almost every day anyway, but it was not his day. And uh, But that is still something that Tom shared with me that still obviously sticks with him. And, and why wouldn't it? Of course it would. So when you understand more of, of what his parents, Cassius, his other younger brother, are, are going through, how that affects the team, it is... Um, you know, it's been a constant thing. We've moved on. We we talk about all these stories in college basketball, as we should. But they live with it every single day. And I want to commend Cassius more than anyone. Izzo had to have the guts to actually call in the family and have that conversation. But for Cassius Winston and his parents to say no, like we realize the dynamic that's here and the one we want, and we need to get back to like you coaching me aggressively and the way that I know you to do it. Um, He could have easily and might've been better if he said, I don't want that, but he did want that. And they seem to be benefiting from it. So when you watch Michigan state going forward, just keep in mind um, that part of it. And seemingly, hopefully they've turned some sort of corner at least in a basketball sense. And if not in a coach player sense.
1: Yeah. And uh, Michigan state closes the regular season on Sunday with a home game against Ohio State, if they win, they will be guaranteed at least a share of the Big Ten uh, title, and that will be obviously Cassius's senior day. Yes. so it'll be uh, uh, quite a scene yeah. there inside uh, the Zebo Center.
2: All right, I, I like it. I like it.
1: Zach Randolph yeah Center. No
2: I like Zebo's Zee- good though. I like Zebo.
1: Yeah. I like I love I, they, I actually I,
2: thought you were gonna go uh, may, All right, how about Drew Neitzel court then? Because I thought you were going Drew Neitzel. But Drew
1: Drew Neitzel, I'm loyal to Zebo. He's a fellow man. <laughs> all
2: right. Give Knightsell the court. That's fine.
1: So it's Zebo Center. Drew Knightsel court inside Zebo Center. Coach K told his haters to suck it after Duke beat NC State the other night. We're gonna get into that next. But first, let me tell you about Coors Light. It's March, which means your favorite men's college basketball tournament is here. There's nothing. Like the nonstop, unpredictable excitement of March Hoops. And there's also nothing worse than being stuck at work while your friends are taking in the action at the bar. You know, life, it's a lot today. It forces us to always be on. But every now and then, it's important to just stop, crack open a mountain cold Coors Light and chill. So when you choose to turn off, choose the one beer that's made to chill. Choose Coors Light. It is estimated that companies lose $4 billion in lost wages paid to unproductive workers in the first week of the tournament alone. Because when that first tip-off happens, we're all... We're all thinking the same thing. I'd rather be watching the games at the bar than sitting here at work, which means the tournament is the perfect time to take a much-needed break from work and enjoy the endless action with a mountain-cold Coors Light. It's the official beer of working remotely. So this March, Coors Light wants you to be the guy at the bar sending a photo to your friends, not the guy at work getting a photo from your friends. Born in the Rocky Mountains of Colorado in 1978, Coors Light is refreshing, crisp, and only 102 calories, and it's the beer I choose when the games are on, and I need a moment to chill. You should, too. That's Coors Light, Mountain Cold Refreshment, made to chill. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado, and remember, always celebrate responsibly. So Duke beat NC State on Monday night. Final score was Duke 88, NC State 69, inside Rashid Suleiman Indoor Stadium. After the game... Coach K told Duke fans to leave Duke players alone on social media, and then he added, "Quote, you can question my coaching, and when you do question it, by the way, just come into Cameron and look up in the ceiling and find out if you should question that word." Coach K. Coach K told Twitter to suck his banners. What'd you (laughs) make of those remarks, Norlander? Suck my banners,
2: Twitter. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) yeah um, I don't so I I don't have the audio handy, and that's actually not good enough. It's not nearly on the level of, of the 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 Duke uh, Coach K audio that we require in order for the drops here on the podcast. But he said it. So this would have been I don't know if this was after his press conference or before but with so many of these coaches they have um, they have deals where after games they speak on local radio um and it's just part of the gig the game ends and then they go talk in the locker room with their teams and either they go to the press conference or they do the the radio show so this was uh, on radio and it wasn't in, fr- in front of a, b- a bunch of media members it was just it was merely only in front of uh the two radio hosts there so um I thought it was accurate I mean he's basically He's echoing what we just are going to hear from coaches, I think, on a weekly basis at this point. He's saying, don't go to my players and bitch about what you're going to bitch about in terms of me or the program. They're just eight, they're just young kids. Um, and there, there's no stopping that. Uh, but maybe if he says it, it has some sort of impact on 10% of the population that would have otherwise gone to Twitter and at mentioned Trey Jones or Vernon Carey Jr. or Matthew Hurt. That's fine. Whatever. Keep Jordan Goldwater's out your, name out your mouth is what I think he's trying to say. And then he's saying, uh, and if you are going to criticize – if you're going to criticize anyone, criticize me, and if you're going to do that, I want you you step into my joint here. Uh, I will never call it Rashid Suleiman Indoor Pavilion. That's absurd. There are like 74 different players you should have picked, including one Rashid who did Suleman. not transfer uh, out of
1: Duke. He didn't uh, transfer out of Duke. He got kicked off the to- team. First ever Duke player, only Duke player, gosh. to ever be dismissed from the Duke-Benz basketball This is basketball not a Brandon Davies Mike situation.
2: Chesky. Suleiman indoor stadium he's saying come look at these banners and he's right because when it comes to this he's uh he's above the criticism there and oh by the way Duke wound up uh, rallying in that game and winning easily it splits the season series with NC State to uh, avoid complete disaster now yes it has the home finale uh, against UNC on Saturday
1: here's what I find most interesting about this because we've had a couple of these uh, stories in sports in basketball um, over the The past week because here's the thing who who is coach k even talking to nobody who's questioning his coaching like it wasn't like we did a podcast after they lost um at at wake forest and we're like all right we need to talk about coach k's coaching you know like nobody does that Mm -hmm. i really don't think any reputable any real person who you know matters in the world of saying things out loud is questioning coach K. Uh, And his coaching, like, I don't think they get they 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 they, they, the B block of get up the other morning was about Coach K's coaching. So he's very clearly, I guess, responding to exactly what he was saying, social media, which means even Coach K is sensitive to what, you know, relatively speaking, a bunch of nobodies on social media think and say about him. And it comes just a few days after um, John Morant. Got like 27 points, 14 assists in a win over the Lakers Saturday night, and afterwards, shouted out a 35 year old hotel salesman on Twitter.
2: <laughs> I, I didn't realize. I didn't realize we knew the dude's occupation. Continue. Oh yeah,
1: his name's Daniel Greer. He works for Drury Hotel. Okay, nice. and he and like. Um, my friend Jessica Benson, who works for um, Local 24 in Memphis, she had tweeted after the Grizzlies lost to the Kings on Friday night, she had tweeted something along the lines of, you know, I, this was a lot more fun when the Grizzlies won because they were on a five-game losing streak after that. And this Daniel Greer, this 35-year-old hotel salesman, he tweeted, you know, I like this a lot more when Ja had that fire. He's, he's got no chip on his shoulder anymore. And John Morant replied to it with the crying, laughing emoji and then went out and and balled out against our king and savior LeBron James and the Lakers. And then in the post game interview on the court, said, "I want to shout out the guy on Twitter who said I didn't have my fire. That this one's for you. You motivated me." And so like it's John Morant's out there pissed off and bothered by just a random guy. And it's it's a it's a it's evidence that we are living in times unlike any other times. Because if you go back twenty years, the Who could really question Mike Krzyzewski's coaching or the fire inside somebody like John Moran?
2: John Feinstein.
1: Okay, there would be a a columnist. Okay, a columnist would have a voice and a platform to do that. Perhaps a radio host would have a voice and a platform to do that. And maybe somebody on TV would have a voice platform to do that. And that's it. You know, like message boards weren't a thing. Facebook wasn't a thing. Twitter wasn't a thing. So even if somebody was actually questioning you as a coach, Unless it's somebody from that very small umbrella I just um, I just presented, you wouldn't even know that that's happening. But now you really could know that it's happening because Twitter, combined with Facebook, combined with, I guess, every other social media outlet, uh, provides literally everybody who wants a voice to have a voice. Now, this is where it gets a little confusing. Not everybody who uses these things to create a voice for themselves, their voices don't matter. You have to remind yourself of that every day. Even when you're just somebody like me, much less John Morant or, or Mike Krzyzewski, and you know, Tom Izzo was talking about you know, social media earlier in the season. Like You have to figure out a way to convince yourself these voices don't matter. Like Why do I care what this person thinks? This mm-hmm. person isn't qualified to have this conversation with me that they're trying to have, so I'm not going to let it bother me. But here's, if I'm being honest, I get irritated sometimes. By people's opinions on social media, even though I know deep down their opinions don't matter, shouldn't matter to me. You still get irritated by it, and at the highest levels of sport, John Morant's a multimillionaire, about to be Rookie of the Year, leading the franchise to the playoffs. Mike Sheshewski is the goat, and they still get so irritated by random opinions from mostly anonymous people that somewhere they're motivated to not just—they're um, motivated to not just think about it. But even publicly acknowledge it in sometimes passive aggressive ways.
2: I think that this also, and I've had a few conversations with coaches this season. I actually think to mention Izzo, he's brought it up in press conferences. Uh, and we talked about it in a, in a segment on the podcast within like the past month. Um, w- the trickle down effect is this these players and and frankly i saw it uh, i saw it on saturday when i covered the michigan state maryland game they're in the locker room and within 10 minutes they obviously it's no fault of their own, whatever. They're, everyone does it, but they, they are looking at their phone, they're looking at social media, and they're checking their at mentions. Some are actually, I've had coaches tell me some players actually don't check their at mentions. They type in and search their actual name to see what people are, you're not even going after the player in those examples. okay? You're just, you are a fan or a critic or whoever, and you are tweeting out criticism or praise of the player and not, even, and not specifically bringing it to their attention by uh, mentioning their handle in it. And because of that, what can happen is When these coaches have occasional one-on-one meetings with their players in season, how you doing? We're working on this. Or meet with a couple of guys, meet with their teams, and players are telling them, uh, at least some of them, will say – doing all right, man, but I got this concern, this concern, and sometimes those conversations can lead to, well, why are you thinking this? Why are you thinking that? Well, you know, people on Twitter or social media, Instagram or whatever, any of these, uh, you know, they're noticing it. My boys told me about it. And so that's why it, it eventually feed, it filters back to the coaches and then they get frustrated even more so because Mike Shoshevsky, uh, listen, does Mike has a have a burner Twitter account? I guess it's not inconceivable. Oh, but He I, has said that he
1: has acknowledged that he does. Oh, he, he has, has a Twitter account that he follow he wants to follow his players all okay. to see what they're tweeting and it's not like under coach K verified right. it's just right. it is a it's a it's a a secret account.
2: Okay. So so he is actually doing it but in, you get the point I'm saying in general like coach K is not uh, living on a daily basis I think on Twitter. I think that's fair to say. The dude is a uh, is a little bit busy but busy. But that's how we wind up getting into situations like this and then Mike Krzyzewski saying what he said on Monday night.
1: Yeah, like uh, you know, even my mom Uh, every once in a while, we'll see something on Facebook and it'll be like, ah, you know, I, I, I hate Gary Parish or something about it. You know, I think his show sucks or he talks too much about this or that or whatever. And my mom will be like, yeah, so I saw on Facebook that people were mad about. And I said, who is mad? And she's like, I don't know who they were, but it was like, and I was like, how many? She was like, I don't know. It was like two or three people. I'm like, Ma, why do you think I should care what two or three people who you don't even know who they are, what, why should I care what they think about anything? Like, why, why are you telling me this? I, like, I'm not – like, I know those people exist, but, like, they don't matter. Just because they have a Facebook account, you know, doesn't mean that I should care what they think about anything as it relates to my job. Um, and, 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 you know, so I remind myself – I try to remind myself of that all the time. And yet it is interesting to see Mike Krzyzewski is bothered. By the same types of things, um, so much so that, un, unprompted, he brought it up on a post-game radio show. And that's Mike Shishetsky. Like, if there's anybody in college athletics above being questioned, it's probably that guy. And yet, he still feels like he's being questioned by somebody, and um, and feels uh, compelled to to you know shout that person down and tell him to suck his suck his banners. Um, again, live on radio. It's just sort of an interesting, uh, it, you know, a story that illustrates exactly the the world we're living in now, and how big of an impact social media has on all of us um, that that deal in social media, particularly any of us who have public jobs, like if you're a basketball coach or a basketball player, or yes, even a basketball columnist. Um, it's a you hear things that you otherwise and in a different era you just wouldn't hear them, you wouldn't even know that they exist, and now you hear them every single day, and I do think um, it can have an impact on people, even people as successful uh, as Mike Krzyzewski. Let's move on. We've had a couple of cool senior day stories over the past few days. Vermont's uh, Josh Spidel and Jackson State's Thomas Less, a.k.a. Snacks, uh, both went viral for very different reasons. Norlander, I'll just let you walk us through these stories.
2: Well, we talk about uh, yeah the stuff with K, and then this is the exact opposite here. So Snacks, Jackson State – trivia time Mm -hmm. most accomplished famous jackson state alumnus not just basketball specific but in general is who lindsey hunter come on man why would i ask you this question
1: oh it's walter payton there we go
2: sweetness shouts to walter payton there we go a Uh, a quick walter payton story okay i'm always up for uh, make it however long you'd like it man so a
1: few years ago Um, You know Walter Payton. um, Was he from Mississippi?
2: Yes, I believe so.
1: Okay, so Walter Payton. There's a Walter Payton Memorial Foundation, or something like that.
2: I know where you're going with this. I believe continue. And um, we get uh,
1: my my radio producer at the time. This is this is probably eight nine years ago. Gets a email. From the Walter Payton Foundation like hey, we're having this golf tournament, you know, and uh, we'd love to you know, Have somebody on the Gary Parish show uh, To talk about it to try to bring awareness to it and you know blah 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 And like, you know, these are some of the people who were playing in it If you'd like to get any of them on radio for a 10-minute interview uh, We'd be happy to do that and my producer just scans the email like clearly trying to juggle a million different things doesn't really read it and he replies and copies me on the reply, and so I. This is the first thing I see is the reply, and it's like, hey, let's just say the lady's name is Pam. Hey, Pam, I uh, really appreciate you reaching out. Um, you know what? We'd love to have Walter on. Um, we could do that uh, Tuesday or Wednesday or Thursday at you know four twenty-five central, or or we could record early afternoon. Whatever works best for uh, for Walter. Uh, works best for us. Um, uh, really appreciate you reaching out. Looking forward to it. And I read this email, and I'm like, oh, horrified. my God. Dude, Walter Payton has been dead for a decade. Yes. Uh, and my and my producer is trying to book Walter Payton for
2: later on in the week. So, awful. <laughs> so... I remember this because, real quick, I went on your radio show within a month of that. And uh, so this is like 2011, 2012. And your producer picks up... And I think I think I might have said something like, hey, I got Walter Payton here for you if you want <laughs> to. So I like I knew it had happened. And then he's like, oh, man. Oh, man. Like, I'm so sorry. And, but oh, it, it, was,
1: yeah. it, was, it was incredible. So I, I call him, and I'm like, dude, what are you doing with that email? And he said, well, that'd be cool if we got Walter Payton, right? I'm like, dude, Walter Payton has been dead forever. What are you talking You just emailed somebody who is probably close to the Walter Payton family because they're running the foundation and asked them. To book Walter Payton for Thursday. And Walter Payton has been dead for since 1999.
2: November 1st, 1999. That's correct. And he's like, oh, my God. And the, the poor lady
1: who on the other end of this, she, doesn't, she hasn't responded yet. She don't know what to say. Like, what do you want to do at that point? Like, well, you know, uh, Mr. Payton passed in 1999, so she doesn't respond. And he sends another email follow-up. He's like, oh, I'm so sorry. I, 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 I didn't realize Walter Payton well, died. Literally,
2: like, arguably the best football player in history has been oh, dead for just, like 13 it was so years. Awkward. So I uh, tell the story on radio the next day and we spent
1: the like we spent like an hour taking calls, recommendations from listeners about who Brad could book for the show, but only dead people. So it would be like um you know, it, you know, it'd be. It, I know this is a sports show, but if you could get John Lennon, that would be amazing. I was like, Brad, write that down, John Lennon. Let's see what we can get done there. And so we turned that into a bit. But anyway, that's yeah. that's the only. How Dalton about sport. that,
2: man? Yeah, Walter Payton. He is my. Uh, that's my all-time sports hero, man. Everyone's got one, and uh, yours was. Uh, who who was yours on the Mets? Strawberry. Doc Gooden. Doc Gooden. There we go. Yeah. Um. So. Yeah, so uh, back to what started this, uh, Walter Payton's alma mater, uh, Jackson State here. Um, shouts to Thomas Snacks, Lee. He was a student manager, got on the floor. I mean, everyone listening to this has seen the video plenty of times. Shouts to the SWAC for naming Snacks the player of the week in the final <laughs> week of the regular season. See, what I love about this story, unless I unless I have missed another uh, field goal attempt, Snacks and Josh Spidell of Vermont are the two best stories of the week in the sport, and they both were one for one from the field. One was at the start of a game, and the other was at the end of a game. I That's that- not actually true, I don't think. He wasn't one for one. He got some more I shots think, up. I, I, I think Snacks missed his first three. Oh, he did. Okay. Well, <laughs> yeah. let's just the way it. the video
1: is edited, it looks like Snacks got into the game and then buried one from 28 feet. Yes. <laughs> when I read a little more about it, like Snacks was 0 for three to start.
2: Okay, never mind then. All right, well, whatever. We just keep rolling with it here. But that was uh, it was an awesome moment because he's a student manager. What I thought, I don't know if you thought this as well. And I did a quick, I did a quick research thing to find out that it wasn't the case. Do you remember the Vine? From like five, four or five years ago, with Taco Fall, and the and the big, big chubby kid when they were playing. Oh, you
1: thought it was the same guy?
2: I was like, "Is this the same?" I was like, "Cause that vine is hilarious." Yeah, it's exactly. this like five foot ten fat kid, and Taco Fall's trying to post up in the lane, and and the kid is just like, eh, "It ain't gonna happen here, man." He's like, he's like waving his finger, he's shaking his head, and it's just it's a complete physical uh, mismatch visually. It's incredibly funny. Um, I'm sure plenty of our listeners know the exact vine I'm talking. It is one of the best vines of all time. And I thought, is this the same dude? It would have been incredible if it was. But they are not the same person. Um, but shouts to uh, to Snacks for having his moment and getting player of the week. That is absolutely fantastic. And he was the the viral sensation of, uh, of Tuesday morning. And then Tuesday night into Wednesday morning here, Josh Spidel at Vermont and... Um, You know, that's where I grew up, is uh, South Burlington, all of literally like a nine minute drive to Patrick Jim there in in Burlington on the campus of UVM. And uh, no doubt most who are listening to this have seen the play and and heard the story because of it, but I'll be really quick here. Spidell lived in Indiana, okay? And he was uh, on the level of a borderline four star, if not a four star prospect, uh, in the midst of his senior year. He was 6'8, 250, could shoot strong as an ox and was an absolute beast. And the fact that he was going to Vermont was a huge get for Vermont. I talked with John Becker, UVM's coach, on Monday in advance of this story, knowing what they were going to do and what they were going to plan. And he said he was the best player that we had ever recruited since I had been here. And he's been there since 2006 when he was an assistant under Mike Lonergan. And Becker has been an amazing coach at that program for a long time. And um, so that says a lot, considering that Anthony Lamb, who was on this Vermont team and is a senior – is a like top two player in the history of the program. He's saying Spidell, as a prospect, was even better than Lamb at that point. Um, but he has this horrific car accident, gets hit on his driver's side, uh, has severe brain issues, goes into a coma for more than a month, has to relearn how to walk and talk and all of it. I mean, just an awful Awful story. They weren't convinced that he would ever. Initially convinced they were he would get out of a vegetative state. Then they weren't sure if he was going to be able to ever be out of a wheelchair. And now look at him. He's on the floor. He's been doing all these workouts for four years on this. Like while the team practices, Joss is on the side doing planks and doing core work and doing lifts and all. He's he's running still with a with a little hitch in his gait. But Becker told me that the progress he has made in the past year has been astounding. And it was so amazing to see the response to the story. Credit to Albany coach Will Brown for agreeing to let it happen um, because it provides us something that's so much, obviously, larger than sports. That building was incredible. I happen to have a few friends from high school, shouts to SBHS class of 99, who were in the building on Tuesday night and uh, said it was just obviously highly emotional, highly charged, just incredible buzz, a lot of noise there. And uh, I do have a story up on it if you want to read it on the site as well, but GP, just just incredible stuff. I loved after the fact when he had the interview with Spidell, and he said, listen, I know I, know I made the shot, but tonight wasn't about me. It actually was, my man, but the fact that you would say that is incredible. He joked about intentionally missing the shot because he wanted to also get an offensive rebound, <laughs> a little pad the stat sheet action. I thought he was he was amazing, and then Becker went on SVP shows uh, on SportsCenter late at night, and it was... Uh, it was just, it was great all around, and what an amazing way to start this month of March. Those two stories, particularly happening in the same day, snacks leading into Spy Dell, and oh, by the way, Vermont should win. Should win the America East for the third time in four years, and if that's the case, Becker told me it is no coincidence. This is arguably the best four-year run in the history of the program. Josh being here is a huge part of it.
1: Uh, I loved it. I thought it was really sweet, and you would expect his teammates to embrace him the way that they did. I love the Albany players embracing him the way that they did. Yes. They don't they don't know him, but they but they understood what that meant to him, to his family, to his teammates, for them all to to say, "Okay, let's let's the game started. Now let's stop it and let's let this young man have this moment." Um, I just thought it was everybody involved handled it uh, terrifically. And it's such a, you know, I was mostly unfamiliar with the story until I, I you know, I see it. On Twitter, and then I, and then I'm just in, intrigued. I start reading about it, and it's just heartbreaking and a reminder of how random life is. You know, he, he there he is. He commits to Vermont, and he's averaging 28 points per game in high school, and life is perfect. And then it's not. You know, he's in a horrific car accident. It, it's actually remarkable he's doing as well as he's doing because they didn't expect that. Right. Um, he was in a coma for five weeks. Uh Doctors had told his parents that um he'd be in a vegetative state, probably for the rest of his life that he would need uh you know to be taken care of for the rest of his life i mean imagine what that must be like for a for a parent you know you 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 raise a son he's happy he's healthy he's strong he's accomplished he's smart, he's going to play division one men's basketball he's a star player, and then like he might not live and if he does live he'll never live a a normal life again that's that's what you're told and then you fast forward to you know to to now and he's about to graduate from vermont a grade point average above three and he'll never be the basketball player that he he once was um but you know given where he was you know on the night of that accident and the idea that he's walking talking able to enter a basketball game get a shot up graduate college and live a mostly normal life is a, a pretty uh, incredible, uh, thing. But I I will tell you, you know, when I read that story, I don't, it, it makes me nervous. I have a 17 year old son who's driving now. And we have this life 360 app where, you know, we all know where we're at at all times. And we all know, um, you know, when you're driving on this app, it shows like you know this is where this person is they're going 44 miles per hour they just turned here they just turned there like you watch it in real time and i find myself con- like every morning when he's driving to school like i'm i'm watching it just like nervous like is everything going to be okay mm-hmm. like it's no way to live but that's how it's weird and you'll realize this uh, as as your children get older you think as they get older you get less worried about them it's actually the opposite you get more worried about them because they're outside of the house more um you you have less control um, they're driving like s- Friday night. My son's on the lacrosse team at his high school. And after the game or match, whatever they call it, I'm unfamiliar with lacrosse. Um, he and his buddies were going out to dinner. He said, hey, can I go to dinner? I said, sure. And then uh, he said, OK, and then I'll come home soon. As it's over. I said, fine. So I watch him on the app and he goes to dinner. And then it's probably, I don't know, 10 o'clock at night. And I see he's on the interstate headed back home. And then I see it says zero miles per hour on the interstate. He's not moving. But he's on the interstate.
2: Oh my gosh! And I'm just
1: like, I go downstairs. I wake my wife up. My wife was already asleep. I'm like, Kelly, uh, Aiden's on the interstate, but he's not moving. He hasn't moved in five minutes, and he's not answering my phone call. She jumps out of bed like we're getting ready to drive there. He calls. He's like, Hey, hey, hey! I'm like, What, what, what? Are you okay? He said, Yeah, I just, I didn't have my lights on. I got pulled over. That was that was nothing.
2: Yeah, but still.
1: But you had that five minutes where you, well, my son's dead. You know, like, you don't, you know, I don't, I don't think my head went that far, but did this kind of stuff enter your head? Yes. Because mm-hmm. it really, that kind of thing really does happen, uh, to people. So, um, it's just a, it's a, it's a tragic and sad story on some level, but man, what a special moment that was last night for that family, uh, for Josh and for, for, both the teams, uh, involved, uh, shouts to Vermont shouts to Albany. It was just a, uh, not everything that goes viral, um, makes you smile, but man, if you don't smile at that. Ah, uh, something's not right with you. And then snacks—that's just hilarious. My my guy is heavy set, and launching from thirty feet, he just got it and, and launched it. He even got like he was getting retweeted by Kevin Durant. Like that's the uh, best
2: man. It's the absolute best. I love right.
1: it. Like like you 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 won't remember every college basketball player, but I feel like even ten years from now, you remember when snacks pull from thirty. Like people will remember when snacks pull from thirty. So. Uh, <laughs> okay. So that's terrific. Let's get to the mailbag real quick. Let's do it. First question comes from somebody who identifies as not great Nike. I don't know. That's the name they typed in. And he or she points out that UCLA could um, theoretically win the Pac-12 and still miss the NCAA tournament. And then he or she flips it straight into a trivia time. Oh. Trivia time. Oh, boy. When's the last time a Pac-12 champion missed the NCAA tournament?
2: I got a I got a reply trivia time after this. Um, it's got uh, it's got to be uh, so it's either UCLA or Oregon, and I'm gonna say it's yeah I'm gonna say it's Oregon like six years ago.
1: It that's an incorrect answer. The answer is Washington in 2012. Oh, you
2: know what? I knew that. Yeah, that's right. Finished yeah. 24 and 11 overall,
1: 14 Damn and 4 it. in the league. Went to the NIT. They had Tony Roten, Terrence Ross, yeah.
2: and Abdul Gotti. <laughs> Tony Roten. I believe he was a junior, by the way. I knew it was Washington. That was a complete brain fart. All right, trivia time. Uh huh. Trivia time. So, right now, Arizona State uh, is in second place for the Pac 12. Arizona State is one of four schools to not have any league. Tournament or regular season championships, no banners, since 1975. Between the ACC, AAC, Big East, Big Ten, Big 12, SEC, and Pac-12, there are 87 schools. Only four of schools in those seven conferences have zero tournament or regular season championships in the past 45 years. We don't need to spend a lot of time on this. Arizona State's won. Can you give me the other three? Let's see if you can get it in six total guesses. Washington State. That's correct. They are two of the four. Penn State. Incorrect. Penn State won an A-10 title in the early 90s. Oh, I forgot they were over there.
1: I'm the, I'm the master of ceremonies of the A-10. And didn't yet
2: you play. didn't realize it. Um, I'm going to go with Northwestern. Northwestern is correct. Northwestern has never won a Big Ten tournament title and has never finished better than fifth in the regular season standings since 1975. So you, so need, you have... I need one more. And and you get three guesses. I get You're I one You're doing a more. great job here right now, by the way.
1: Yeah, I, feel, I feel pretty
2: good about how things are going right now. Is the answer Boston College? It is not. BC won the Big East in 05. Son of a. Is the answer. <sighs> Two more. Ole Miss. It is not Ole Miss. Ole Miss won the SEC tournament in the past 10 years, but they are close. Yeah, that's
1: that my man Marshall Henderson.
2: Yeah, exactly. Shouts to Marshall Henderson. That's exactly when they did it, when he was on the team. Um, the, the, the last one is tough. It's, it's not tough historically, but it's tough within the context of uh, this season and recent seasons. Okay. Is the answer TCU. It is not TCU 1 in the Mountain West. I believe they have one as of late. Yeah. Okay, am I out of guesses? You're out of guesses, but how about we just do one more? Okay. One more
1: power conference. Mhm. Uh, I'm going to pick this league. Ooh, I think I got it.
2: I don't think you do. Is it Nebraska? Nebraska won the Big, e- Big 8 uh, Conference Tournament in 1994. That sounds made up. It's not made up, but it's the only one they got. Schools that came dangerously close but are also incorrect. Shouts to South Florida won the Sun Belt in 90. East Carolina what, got the auto bid in 93 out of the CAA. UCF, former Sun champions earlier this century. And even Tulane, that's right, Tulane, won a regular season title in the, you know it, what conference? 92. Ni- 92. That's the Great Midwest. No, it's the Metro. Metro? I thought it was the Great Midwest, but uh, shouts to Marcus Nelson for correcting me. Um, Rutgers has like five of these, by the way, in the past 45 years. That was a shocker. You know what school comes dangerously close? Virginia Tech won the, you know it, Metro in 79. Shouts to Bimbo Coles. That's right. Colorado would be on the list if not for uh, winning the 2012 Pac-12 tournament. USC only has the 09 Pac-12 tournament title and the 85 regular season title. And Cal only has a 2010 pac 10 regular season title. The only other school. How about this one? 0-3 in Big 12 title games. It's best finished in the league is second. You're Baylor Bears. Baylor, My Baylor Bears. Baylor, Arizona State, Washington State, and Northwestern are the only four schools in the major seven conferences to have zero tournament or regular season championships since 1975. Do you predict that changes this season? I, ooh, that's a good one. Because actually all that information, by the way, if you want all those details, it's in Wednesday's court report. Um, I'm going to say it doesn't. I don't think that Baylor will be able to tie with Kansas atop the regular season standings, and I don't think that Baylor will win the Big 12 title. And I'll say the same for Arizona State, which is now a game behind the Pac-12, and I don't think it wins the league bracket there either.
1: Question number two comes from a fellow named Josh. He's a Texas fan. He was planning for a coaching change. Now he's all in on Shaka Smart once again and wants to know if Shaka is really going to save his job. That is after Texas beat Oklahoma at the buzzer on Tuesday night. Uh, Matt Norland. Is Shaka Smart out there not only making a push for the NCAA tournament, but out there making a push to remain UT's men's basketball
2: coach? Shaka Smart's going to coach the Longhorns next season, and Texas is going to the NCAA tournament. The sequence that went that went down on Tuesday night inside the Trey Young Center was insane. Christian Doolittle, an 80% foul shooter. Actually, I think we called it the... Uh, What's the, what's the dude? What's the dude from the early 2000s? Willie
1: Warren. We called it Willie no, Warren. No, you
2: called it Willie Warren, but that's not it. It's, uh, it's my guy. It's my guy. Oh, I'm blanking. Eh, it doesn't matter anyway. Um, uh, Christian Doolittle misses both foul shots. They're up two for Oklahoma. Matt Coleman's absurd. Three, uh, Tuesday night was a joke. Texas is uh it's building itself quite a gorgeous NCAA tournament profile it still needs to get some more done and by gorgeous it's all relative here they're just surging as of late like those Bruins like those Providence Friars so uh big time ups to them and yeah Shaka Smart's going to save his job the Longhorns are going to get to the tournament for the third time in his five seasons they will not get rid of him
1: I think even if they don't make the NCAA tournament I'm at the point where why not just keep him okay so listen there's no seniors on the roster I know I think they could theoretically bring everybody back from a team that's playing well in late February, March. And, you know, they don't have anybody signed yet, I don't believe, but they're involved with Greg Brown. Like you bring this whole team back and then enroll a five star like Greg Brown, like that team, that's a preseason top 25 team. And Texas has. I agree. What, what's interesting is, you know, Texas wins as an underdog last night. Uh, they're on this five game winning streak. Four of the games, they were underdogs in one. Five and a half point underdog at Kansas State win. Five and a half point underdog at, against West Virginia win that one. Eleven and a half point underdog at Texas Tech they won that one, and they were seven point underdog at Oklahoma they won that one. Uh, so playing well, um, bring back you bring back everybody of importance. Maybe add a player here or there. It's a preseason top twenty five team. Why would you pay ten million dollars to get rid of a coach of a preseason top twenty five team? Forget about what he's done. You know, in the past, just uh, when this season's over, there's a good chance uh, you're going to have a coach who's going to have a top 25 team next preseason. Why do you pay $10 million to make that go away?
2: Hollis Price was who I could not think of. Hollis Price. Shasta Hollis Price. You're right. Um, I I largely agree with that. If you can get everyone to come on back here, but they have just been. They've been a wonderful story as of late, man. Now that was an absurd win. I mean, they 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 absolutely pulled it out the backside there. But they get whatever, man. You get the win. You get the win. You get the win. And the Purdue win on the road to start the season keeps looking better because Purdue's getting closer to the tournament, as is there. So not there yet, but certainly uh, just streaking the right way and should get a six uh, a six straight win with the home finale against Oklahoma State on Saturday. You blow that, then yeah, things get very messy in a hurry. But I don't think that's going to happen. Texas is setting himself up quite nicely.
1: Yeah, the 7-11 in Quadrant 1 slash Quadrant 2 opportunities, zero losses outside of the first two quadrants, so that's good. The loss column is, is rock solid. Question number three comes from a Blue Gator fan who is fed up with conference rankings. This person acknowledges that the Big Ten and Big 12 rate as the best conferences in the country. It was this way last season. It's that way again this season. But the Big Ten, this person points out, hasn't won a national championship since 2000, and the Big 12 hasn't won one since 2008. Do you realize Kansas is the only Big 12 school to win the NCAA tournament since 1950? Five zero. 1950, the only Big 12 team to win a. Uh, uh, a national championship is the Kansas Jayhawks since 1950. So does this person make a good point? Stop calling these leagues the best leagues in the country. They never actually produce the national champion.
2: You don't have to be the best league to produce the national champion, though. The leagues are evaluated based on the strength from top to bottom. Every single team counts the first as much as the 10th, as much as the 12th, or the 14th. So that's why. So I don't, I don't agree with that. Uh, it obviously helps the case. And for the Big Ten, particularly this season, if it can somehow manage to get Michigan State or Maryland to win the entire thing, then, yeah, that would go a long way to helping, I guess. But from a purely an empirical standpoint, uh, the math shows that they are the best, and that's just, that is what it is. But I will say, and I, I said this with the great legendary John Fanta on Inside the Big East uh, this week, I, I do think that the Big East actually sets up better than the Big 12 and the Big 10 to have more teams in the Sweet 16 because I just, on the whole... And we're speaking here in advance of what's going to be a a, a a lively night in the Big East. I just, Villanova, Seton Hall, Providence, yeah, that's right, I said, it. no, not really, but Creighton, uh, Butler was really good earlier in the season. I think that those four uh, have a good shot to make deep runs, Elite, you know, Sweet 16, Elite 8, and then... Um, Final Four is a bridge too far, but you get what I'm saying there. So I think that's why you sometimes have fans say stiff stuff like that, because you have more ACC teams and Big East teams that wind up winning national championships. But no, Big Ten is the best, and the Big 12 has been the best for six of the past seven seasons.
1: And yet the Big Ten has not won a national championship since 2000, and the Big 12 hasn't won one since 2008. Three leagues have multiple champions in the past ten years. Big 10 has zero. Big 12 has zero. Three leagues have multiple champions in the past uh, – or two leagues, rather. Um, have, have Two leagues have produced multiple champions in the past 10 years. It's the ACC, Duke twice, North Carolina and Virginia, and the Big East, UConn when UConn was in there in 2011, Louisville and Villanova won it twice. And then the other two champions in that 10-year period, Kentucky in 2012 out of the SEC and UConn 2014, out of the American Athletic Conference. Shouts to Devin Downey. Shouts to Chester, South Carolina. Shouts to Terry M. F. and Teagle. He's a legend. Shouts to Larnell. Please go subscribe to the ION College Basketball Podcast via Apple Podcast. Rate it favorably. Five stars. Nice comments. And we will talk to you again on Friday. I promise. Till then, take care.